What up, what up, what up? Welcome back to Sam Dunks, the weekly NBA show over at Slab Stocks. I'm your host, Sam. Please follow us on Instagram at Slab Stocks. Subscribe on YouTube and subscribe to our newsletter, which you can find on our website. And you can see that at the top of the page on slabstocks.com. Uh, big news out of the NBA. Basketball is coming back. I know you're excited about that. I know I'm excited about that because then I'll have actual games to cover for my content. We are still eight weeks away from that day, so this week on Sam Dunks, we're jumping right into the loaded 2017 NBA Draft, which is much like the 2018 Draft. Very good. Uh, as always, I will be analyzing the players using their PSA 10 graded uh, 2017 rookie cards, Prism Silver rookie cards, sorry. Uh, not because I automatically think those are always the best cards to invest in, but simply because it provides a convenient baseline for comparing players and evaluating their prices. If you would like to find out more about which specific NBA card brands to target or which parallels to target, go check out Aaron's recent video, Slab Socks Investing 101, which NBA sports card investment brands and parallels you should target. Great video, lots of good stuff in there, and uh, there's also a lot of good stuff for us to go through today. So, starting off in the 2017 NBA Draft, we had a trade, and it was a big trade. The Sixers traded up from pick number three, sending two first-rounders, who turned into Jason Tatum and Romeo Langford. And the Sixers came away with Markel Fultz out of Washington. Obviously, in retrospect, this clearly didn't work out at all for the Sixers. But at the time, no one was ragging on that trade or on the selection. And there were about five different players who were cycling through the top pick in the, all the NBA draft boards that I saw. Uh, Markel Fultz was one of the players that were frequently spoken of as the top talent in the draft, uh, and he was thought of as a near-perfect complement to the Sixers' core. Obviously, now there are other players from this draft who would have fit much better, but we didn't know that at the time. Fultz, he's also one of the best reminders in recent years that NBA players are actually people too, just like you and me, and just like we can be adversely affected by all sorts of negative crap in our lives. You know, Fultz, he had a confluence of factors that really just derailed his career pretty quickly. I don't know if we'll ever understand everything that happened, but you know, some combination of his of his personal trainer slash father figure, whatever he is, his mom, uh, some strange workouts, a shoulder injury, a wrist injury, viral videos, the yips, whatever it is, you know, it just goes on and on and on, and you kind of got to feel bad for the guy. If you remember Fultz from Washington, yeah, he was a guy that shot 41% from deep on five attempts per game. He had the silky smooth pull-up jumper from anywhere on the court, just an all-around dynamic offensive player, and that's obviously all changed now. Uh, but let's look at uh, what he did this past season, his first season for the Orlando Magic after being traded away from Philadelphia. In 28 minutes per night, he averaged 12 points, 3 rebounds, 5 assists, 1.5 steals, shot 47% from the field. Only 25% from 3 on just under 2 attempts per game, and he was just about, as equally, uh, just about equally as bad on catch and shoot and pull up attempts. We know that there's a lot historically that has resulted in him being a bad three-point shooter, so I don't want to nitpick at that so much and uh, you know, just generally hope that it eventually comes back. One positive trend is that his free throw shooting, which was a big point of contention through his first two seasons, you've probably saw a lot of videos of that, he really saw a big improvement this year. Shot 48% and then 57% from the charity stripe his first two seasons. That jumped up to 72% this past year on a career-high 2.2 attempts per game. Uh, nothing about that is astronomical, but it is a big step in the right direction. Last year, his mid-range shooting from 16 feet out went from 33% the previous season to 45% this year. And these are all positive steps. And hey, Fultz is just 22 years old, just turned 22 a couple weeks ago. So he still has a ton of room for development and improvement. 
Um, you know, developmentally, I really consider this past season for the Magic to be his rookie year. Obviously, the card market doesn't view it that way because the first two years were such disappointments. It kind of really drug his value down. But I think that as a player, this past year really was his rookie season. A big part of Fultz's NBA career so far has been the lack of confidence. You know, at least from an outsider perspective, that seems to be the case. Uh, so seeing some of these gradual improvements in free throw shooting and mid-range shooting, it at least implies that perhaps we'll see the three-point shooting continue to improve as well. Outside of his range, there are a lot of things to like about his game. Uh, he's been good in transition. He ranks in the 63rd percentile in transition situations, which is a good rating. Uh, he also shoots 65% at the rim, and he's been a good pick-and-roll ball handler. These are all encouraging things to see out of a young 22-year-old point guard. Looking at his on-off ratings, the Magic were much better offensively when he was on the court and much better defensively when he was on the bench, which is pretty much the opposite of what I would have thought before digging into the stats. Uh, however, the defensive numbers change based on who he's sharing the court with. Um, obviously, that always happens, but it's pretty telling with Markel Fultz. Uh, by the way, go to stats.nba.com. I do that a lot. Search for the Magic, select Lineups, then Advanced, and then just mess around with everything. You'll see what I mean. Any lineup that features Fultz and Vucevic or Aaron Gordon, which was most of the lineups, they had a negative net rating. Uh, any lineup that featured Fultz and Jonathan Isaac was usually positive. You know, the Magic have a number of roster construction issues that you know they're going to have to sort out moving forward, but I think the path is there for them to become a pretty interesting team. Um, I brought that up several times over the past several weeks. I understand that, uh, but I do like a lot of the, the young players. A lot of it's just potential at this point, though. Uh, so big picture, I think there are a lot of encouraging signs. You know, there's a lot to like. Not the easiest path moving forward. We're going to need to continue to see some improvement from Fultz. We're going to need to see some continued improvements from the rest of the Young Magic players as well and get some of those roster construction issues ironed out. Uh, but I believe the path is there for both the Magic and for Fultz to be really fun together. Obviously, that's a ton of what-ifs, which makes Fultz a risky investment. But for the right buyer, I do think he's a buy. And dating back to mid-March, most of Fultz's PSA 10 Prism Silver Rookie Card auctions have been ending around $120. If you have money to burn and you're in more of a gambling spirit, I think that's a buy. I do think there's a pretty decent possibility for continued improvement. If you don't have that much money to spend and you're in a lesser financial position, and there's nothing wrong with that, please don't get greedy and be buying this card thinking you're automatically going to hit a home run because there is a ton of risk involved. But I think things could shake out well over the next couple of seasons. Next up, to the Los Angeles Lakers, another guy that was constantly in consideration for the top pick, Lonzo Ball. You know, just like Markel Fultz, he's a real person. <laughs> there are a ton of factors in play in this young guy's career too. Uh, not super surprising that either of these young players are on their second teams already. Lonzo was drafted by the Lakers, which is an unenviable position for any young player because expectations are generally sky high in Los Angeles, uh, especially a player with as much built-in hype as Lonzo. It was going to be tough for him to meet those expectations. Now throw into all of that the added pressure from having uh, LeVar Ball, his dad, all over TV, constantly throwing out all these clickbaity quotes every single other day. Uh, tough beginning to the career for the oldest Ball brother. Unsurprisingly, after getting moved out of the bright lights and ending up in New Orleans, uh, and after distancing himself from his dad a little bit as we saw this past season, things have really started to improve for Lonzo on court in the 2019-2020 season. For the Pelicans, he saw improvement pretty much across the board. 
after a small bump in overall field goal percentage, a bigger bump in three-point percentage and free throw percentage, he ended the year actually, you know, I got to say, uh, stop, I stop, got to stop saying he ended the, ended the year because the season still go, uh, but you know what I mean. But he ended the year with a stat line of 12.4 points, six rebounds, seven assists, and 1.4 steals. From deep, he shot 38% from on 6.5 attempts per game, which is really pretty good, especially because we know that was one of the question marks after his time in L.A., uh, one thing that clearly seemed to have changed for Ball is his shooting motion. Uh, if you remember from college, you know that was one of the big questions was if his shooting style could translate to the NBA. He kind of corked his shooting hand over in front of his face like this, which could work, and, but it gets kind of harder when the defenders are closer, when you have faster defenders and you have smaller windows to shoot in, and when you're further out in the NBA. Well, this year in New Orleans, they were working on his shot. Uh, they worked on it quite a bit. They bring in his shooting motion, his shooting hand more in front of his forehead in, uh, in more of a traditional method, and things got a lot better. Just go on YouTube and search Lonzo Ball shooting, and you'll probably find a video or two describing what I mean. Uh, he was the biggest beneficiary on the Pelicans after Zion arrived on the scene. In 437 minutes together, they posted a net rating of 15.2, which is awesome. Uh, offensive rating of 114.6 and a defensive rating of 99.4. That's the equivalent of the second best offense in the league and the best defense in the league. So pretty, pretty good. Uh, pretty much every other player was also extremely good with Zion around, but Lonzo Ball kind of stands out from the rest when you compare those stats. An added benefit of playing with Zion is that Lonzo is just going to have so much added press over the coming you know, five years or so. Consider what the NBA is doing this season. Basically, the only reason that I can figure why they aren't just starting the playoffs after a few warm-up games and actually giving other teams an opportunity to get in is because the league really wants to give the Pelicans an opportunity to play in the postseason, which I understand. A first-round matchup of Zion and LeBron, that's just like a ratings dream. You know, so, so big improvements, ideal pairing with Zion, a great team situation going forward. Lonzo's pretty clearly a buy, in my opinion. PSA 10 Prism Silver Rookie cards have been auctioning off around $300 over the past couple of weeks, although only a couple of eBay auctions to base that off of, really. I'm generally really liking the trajectory of you know, basically everything around Lonzo moving forward, so I think he's a buy. Uh, also pretty low PSA 10 population, only two, 229 PSA 10s compared with 348 9s. Uh, compare that with the next guy on our list. Tatum has 561 10s and 209s. You know, the relative scarcity for ball should help. You know, supply and demand will probably generate some increase in his prices in the coming years. All right, next up, just mentioned him with a third selection. The Boston Celtics nabbed an absolute steal by getting Jason Tatum. Uh, really don't like the Celtics. Wish they hadn't selected Tatum because he is a really good player. 24 points, 7 rebounds, 3 assists, a steal and a half, and a block in 35 minutes per game while shooting 45% from the field and 40% from 3 on 7 attempts per game. All really solid stuff. Uh, as his numbers have been going up, his shot profile has been improving. He cut down a bit on mid-range attempts this past season, also added almost two attempts per game at the rim, and nearly doubled his three-point attempts per game, which shows that he's maturing as an offensive basketball player. So clearly gifted offensively. He's also really started transforming himself into a versatile defensive player this year, um, so much so that he was being spoken as one of these you know, great two-way wing players. With his, con his positive contributions on both sides of the ball, he was ninth in the league in PIPM, so uh, player impact plus minus, a catch-all at luck-adjusted metric. He was 14th rated player by net rating. He had an on-off differential of 11.3 points. Doesn't really matter any way you look at it. He was really, really good.
Uh, he's got a good, you know, well-fitting running mate next to him in Jalen Brown, although kind of the rest of the roster around them are a little precarious. They have a couple of expensive 30-year-olds in Hayward and Kemba next to them. Uh, but, you you know, you never bet, a, bet against Danny Ainge figuring these things out. Uh, Brad Stevens is a great coach. You figure the Celtics have a really good uh, future, you know, in the next decade or so. I'm not betting against the Celtics at all. Tatum is going for much more than the first two picks in this draft. His PSA 10 Prism Silver Rookie cards are currently going around $1,600, although they were selling for around $1,000 at the beginning of May and then suddenly jumped up to $1,600 in the past couple of weeks. Could be some funny business going on. Uh, could be just due to the card boom that we've seen in recent months. I don't know what it is. Uh, in general, though, whatever his price is currently, I think he's pretty clearly a buy as a long-term hold option. Tatum figures to be a top 10 player in the league, should be competing for championships. He's in a really great NBA market in Boston, and he just turned 22 a couple of months ago. You know, these are all the ingredients for long-term value growth. And by the way, if I think a guy's a buy, I'm not saying they're all long-term holds. You know, a lot of these guys are going to be you know, buying holds for like a year or two or three. Only the rare player is a long-term hold, but I do think that Jason Tatum is going to be one of those guys. Now, if you are looking to invest in Tatum, his base prism and silver prism rookie cards are obviously the most liquid. They're the ones that are most available at any moment and also get the most action on auctions. And they've pretty much doubled, I think, since all this COVID-19 stuff started happening. Uh, Melbourne Cardsmiths from Instagram DM'd me the other day to point out that the serial numbered Jason Tatum stuff uh, hasn't nearly had the same jump. And just kind of browsing through some of the different auctions, I think he's pretty clearly correct. So thank you for the tip, Melbourne Cardsmiths. Um, so if you are looking to get into some holdings on Jason Tatum, I'd be looking for serial numbered stuff. You know, that's probably going to be your best bet right now. Short print, you know, hypers, uh, maybe optic hollow, that'd be a good bet too. Uh, short printed, select court side. You know, I think there's a lot of different ways that you can go, but you probably get the best bang for your buck if you look outside of the silver and base prisms at the moment. But in general, wherever you go, I think you're going to be looking at long-term growth. The next selection was Josh Jackson to the Phoenix Suns. Already on his second team, will likely be on his third team by next season. Uh, clearly hasn't worked out like the Suns hoped, but you know that's what you get when you draft a Jayhawk, so uh, that's a shot at Nate. Um, really not worth spending any time on him. Sell if you have or hold, doesn't really matter. Next up, uh, boy, wouldn't this have been nice to have on the Phoenix Suns. Instead of going to the Phoenix, to Phoenix at number four, he went to the Sacramento Kings at five, and that was De'Aaron Fox. Uh, good year when he was healthy, although you know, we didn't see any huge leaps forward like we'd have liked. Um, that's probably because he wasn't completely healthy. At 32 minutes per game, he put up 20 points, four rebounds, seven assists, 1.4 steals, shot 48% from the field, only shot 30% from downtown, which is obviously a concern. Uh, but we knew back when he was at Kentucky that he wasn't being drafted to be a great shooter. Uh, you would like to see him get a little better from there, though. Also not a very good three-point free throw shooter, only 70% on six attempts per game. Obviously, we want him to get better there, too, because he does get to the line so much. A really good game all around, though, and a super fun player to watch. You know, Improved in scoring, has the tools to be a good defensive player, really good in transition. He was the primary reason that the Kings kind of made a late push for the playoffs. They went 13-7 in the past 20 games before the break, 13-6 in games that Fox actually played. You know, but the big thing for Fox 
this year was that injury that cost him 17 games in the middle of the season. He missed half of November, half of December, and it's really tough to build a solid season when you miss significant time in the middle and you have a severe ankle injury, which is the reason for your missing that time. His PSA 10 Prism Silver Rookie cards are currently auctioning off in the $300 to $325 range. And I like Fox in general as a player. I think he's a buy, even though I wonder if the prices have overrated him a little bit. Um, but, I mean, the prices are the prices. So if it were my money and they're going for the same prices, I'm probably leaning towards Lonzo Ball at this point instead of Fox. But I really do think Fox has a super fun game to watch. Um, but... You know, Lonzo's situation is just that much better. You know, Fox is playing for a Kings team that kind of struggles to build a winner. It's going to be a tough road ahead for him. I know some people think I'm wrong on Bagley, but you know, he's just really bad. And the rumors are that Fox also really doesn't like him and that Fox has been ghosting him. And there's currently a ton of friction between Fox and Bagley. And if it's one or the other, guess who's getting the boot? So I agree with Fox. And I like Fox as a player, and I wish he was in a better situation. But he does have the type of game that translates well into the highlight reels. He's a general buy, um, but you know maybe you have some better investments to look into uh, for your money. With the sixth pick, and a real John Hammondy sort of move, the Magic selected Jonathan Isaac out of Florida State. I really like Isaac, but maybe that's because John Hammond trained my brain when, I, when he was with the Bucks to like these tall, lanky, athletic players. Uh, but really, objectively, I think Isaac had a really nice season, even though it was obviously shortened by injury. The Magic knew when drafting him that he was going to be a few years before he could actually really do anything meaningful on the court. He's a project player, so to speak. But, you know, Isaac, he really started to take that leap in his third season. Only played 32 games, but in 30 minutes per night, he averaged 12 points, 7 rebounds, 1.4 assists, and 1.6 steals, and 2.4 blocks. Shot 33% from three, 46% from the field. Uh, he's been putting on some muscle as he's developed, and I think we, you know, as we see him continue to fill out, the shooting should improve a little bit. Uh, the scoring, obviously, the rebound, that should all come along with it. He's already a defensive menace anyways, one of the best defensive players in the league, and if he gets stronger, he's going to improve on defense too. Uh, he's still a pretty big project offensively. Uh, his game needs to round out quite a bit more. He shot over 40% from both corners, though, this year, which is obviously good. Only 29% on above of the break. Threes, not very good. 63% in the restricted area, which is not bad, but just really not very good anywhere else. I've seen enough improvement from him, though, to think that he could just keep on getting better. At least I hope so. You know, with some of the immediate stars we've seen in recent drafts, we sometimes forget how frequently players take like four to five years to really become much of anything. You think of Kawhi Leonard, also drafted for defense. At the same age as Isaac in his third season, he was averaging 13 points and six rebounds with a couple of assists and a couple of steals. He wasn't anywhere near, near where he is right now. When Siakam was 22, also drafted for defense, four points, three rebounds. Of course, that was his rookie year, but the point is... At 22, there's still a ton of development to be had. I think the combination of Isaac's physical traits, his high motor, his developmental path, and there really could be a nice player in a couple of years. Emphasis on could. One thing that I think needs to probably happen for Isaac to take the next leap is that the Magic need to move on from Aaron Gordon. You know, pretty much almost every single other, you know, every single Magic lineup with Gordon is a net negative. Uh, he's just stealing minutes and you know position away from Isaac. So hopefully they make a move away from Gordon pretty soon. Not a whole ton of movement on the Jonathan Isaac card front. 
that is a concern, obviously. I don't know how much man de demand there will ever be for him in Orlando, but the last time any PSA 10 Prism Silvers were selling was back in April, and they were selling between $100 and $115 pretty consistently. Uh, of course, there are currently none listed on eBay, so good luck finding any to buy. So I do like them as a relatively cheap buy if you're able to find anything. And otherwise, I'd definitely be holding at the very least. That is, if you are sitting on anything, any Jonathan Isaac cards. Last player I'm going to spend a bit more time on is Larry Markkinen. I uh, took a step back this year, went from 19 points two years ago down to 15 points, from 9 rebounds down to 6. Uh, not much else to speak of stat-wise. His three-point percentage was also down. He shot 36% the first two years, down to 34% this year. Uh, shot only 43% from the field this year, year as well. Now, a big part of the problem for Markinen this year was the injuries. He started out the season by playing 46 straight games, but he was reportedly not very healthy that entire time. And then he missed 15 games with a pelvis injury, which sounds terrible. Uh, another big part of the problem for him was, you guessed it, Jim Boylan. Tell me if you've heard that before. The worst coach in the NBA caused some significant regression for Wendell Carter Jr. as well, and Markkinen was also a casualty of Boylan's stupidity. He had averaged 15.3 shot attempts his sophomore season. That was down to 11.8 attempts this year. Uh, most, often, most often when he was on offense, he was just placed in the corner to rot. The first two seasons, he averaged 80 touches per game. That's you know just 80 opportunities to do anything at all. This year, that was cut in half, down to 40. Reportedly, when Markkinen talked to Boylan about his concerns, Boylan said that if he wanted him to get the ball more, he should start by getting more rebounds. But also, Boylan was the one who had his bigs blitzing all around the court on defense, completely putting them out of position to get any rim rebounds or to defend the rim at all. So, you know, all of this was really on coaching strategy. Also, did you see... I just read this the other day. Jim Boylan installed a punch clock to the weight room that, and he gave his guys physical cards so that they could punch in and out when they went into the right weight room. It's just ridiculous stuff. If there was a Venn diagram of playoff teams and teams that used a punch card to get into the weight room, it's just two circles. There's no overlap at all. Uh, in any case, like with Kobe White and Wendell Carter, I give Markinen a bit of a pass because their organization and their coaching has been just such a mess over the past couple of years. And this isn't biased at all. I am a Bucks fan. I hate the Bulls. I think there's just a good buying opportunity on Markinen simply because I think things are bound to get better once Karnasovas starts cleaning up the mess in Chicago. Uh, Boylan is still officially the head coach, although I think that will change before next season starts. Markkinen's PSA 10 Prism Silver Rookie cards have been auctioning off in the $80 range, and at that price, I think it's worth taking a flyer or two. Uh, not that he was very good this year, but looking at the leap he took from his first year to his second year, had he taken that same leap this year, we'd have been looking at a much more enviable card. Assuming a lot of the regression was out of Markkinen's control, I wouldn't be surprised at all if we see some good things out of him moving forward. Um, all these young bulls in the near future, I think there's some good things coming. So I think he's a buy, not a guarantee at all, but I do like the prospects. Wow, what was that, like six buys out of seven players? I guess I'm getting soft. Uh, we'll clean that up ratio up pretty quickly. Eighth pick by the Knicks, Frank Nitalikina. Buy it now is going all over the place lately. Sell. Ninth pick, also playing for the Knicks now, Dennis Smith Jr., $30. Sell. By the way, fun little tidbit, I heard these rumors going around on the street. The Mavericks supposedly were sending all these signals that they were interested in Frank Nitalikina, and various executives think that the Knicks only select him because they respect the Mavericks' international scouting, but the Mavs were using that as a smokescreen so that they could take Dennis Smith Jr. instead. 
I don't know if any of that's true for sure, but I've read that very thing from various sources, which I think is pretty funny and also pretty believable. Of course, Dennis Smith Jr. stinks, um, but it is just kind of funny that the Mavs were able to do that to the Knicks. Tenth pick, Zach Collins, Blazers, $40-ish, sell, no, hold, I don't know, Malik Monk, $30, hold, Luke Kennard, $40, hold. All right, that's all I have time for. Thank you so much for tuning in.